So just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me once again, please, as you're able to do that? And we're going to read once again uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. I'll read the plain text. If you join me in reading the highlighted portions, that we will walk through the passage together. Acts chapter uh, 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 1, the beginning of verse 4, this is what the Bible says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, last week, we focused on the apostles' remarkably enthusiastic response to the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. But this morning, I want to focus more on the promise itself. The truth of the matter is, particularly among evangelicals, most people have not studied or thought through through this issue particularly carefully. To be honest, the subject of the Holy Spirit in general and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in particular has been largely neglected in certain parts, at least, of the evangelical church. And so as a result, people who've not studied it at all or never really studied it particularly carefully never seem to have noticed how central the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to the gospel itself. And I want you to understand, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is central to the message of the gospel. For instance, in the passage we just read, I want you to notice in verse 4 that Jesus says to his disciples, wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. In other words, this was a subject Jesus had talked about often with his disciples. He talked about it on uh, multiple occasions as a matter of real significance. For example, in John 7, the Bible says, Jesus declared in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And if that sounds really cool to you, then you should notice John's explanation of what Jesus meant in the next verse, where John writes, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus spends much of John chapter 14 and 15 and 16 instructing his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And at least a portion of what he said was this, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. According to uh, Luke, uh, the very last words, at least the last recorded words of Jesus speaking to his disciples before he went back to be with the Father uh, were in regard to the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. And the very first recorded words of Jesus in the book of Acts are, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized. 
with the Holy Spirit. This gift, this promise of the Father, this thing they were commanded to sit tight and wait for was the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which Jesus had often spoken about. And by the way, it wasn't just Jesus who spoke often about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because the truth is, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was central to the teaching and the preaching and the ministry of John the Baptist. When people think of John the Baptist, they tend to think his fundamental message was, repent. I mean, clearly he went around saying, repent, a lot. He preached a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Uh, And yet, John's ministry is mentioned in all four Gospels. And John is quoted, actually, in all four Gospels. And while Matthew, Mark, and Luke all quote John, uh, record him issuing powerful calls to repent, the one message of John the Baptist that appears in all four Gospels is the message, number one, that Jesus is greater than he, and number two, that he will baptize in the Holy Spirit. In fact, Mark writes of John the Baptist's ministry in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 7, and this was his message. Here it is. Here it comes. This, is, this was the message of John the Baptist. This was his message. Not repent, not turn or burn. This was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist's message fundamentally was not repent. John the Baptist's message fundamentally was Jesus. You need Jesus. Look for Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Follow Jesus. He's bigger than me. He's greater than me. He's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. John's fundamental message was Jesus, and fundamental to what he shared about Jesus was that he will baptize in the Holy Spirit. In fact, I want to suggest to you this morning that it is not at all a stretch biblically to say that in some very fundamental way, you were saved in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. At the climax of Peter's great Pentecost Day sermon, he declares to his listeners, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for as many as the Lord our God will call. Paul writes about the salvation we have in the Lord Jesus to the Galatians. And in Galatians 3.14, he writes this, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, I recognize when I say that you're saved in order to be filled with the Spirit of God, some of you might struggle with that statement. I get it, and, and, and it's fair at one level because in truth, in, in, at its most very fundamental level, at its most very basic level, the truth is you're saved in order to become like Jesus. Let's be very, very clear. You're not saved to go to heaven. Whatever else you may have heard or believed. Heaven isn't even the final destination for the child of God. Heaven right now is basically a temporary kind of resting place where disembodied saints dwell in the presence of God waiting to be reunited with their body at the resurrection of the dead and to carry on for there out into eternity in a new heaven and a new earth, a merged heaven and earth in the fullness of the kingdom of God. Heaven's not the goal. 
Heaven's not even the last roundup. Jesus didn't come to get you to heaven. Jesus came to get you to God, which means, in the end, you were saved for God. You were saved so that God may have from you that which he created you to give him. That he may have glory and love and worship from you. That he may take pleasure in you. You were saved for God so that he can have in and with and out of you that which he wants to have. That means, fundamentally, you were saved to be changed. So you can go and live the life God called you and created you to live. A life lived with God and a life lived for God. But here's the catch. You can't. You can't live that life. You can't uh, uh, really be like Jesus. You can't do that stuff without the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. And that means in some very fundamental way. You were saved in order to be filled with the Spirit of God because so much of what you were saved for is utterly dependent on Him and His work in and through your life. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ want you filled with the Holy Spirit. And for what it's worth, you need to understand that the New Testament phrases, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, receiving the Holy Spirit, all these, at least on occasions, receiving the Holy Spirit, all these different phrases are used interchangeably to mean the same experience. An endowment with power by the Holy Spirit in which His gifts are released in you and you're empowered to do the work of God in the world as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord Jesus told His disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses. In Luke 24, Jesus told His followers, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is a hairdryer. No one's going to argue with me about that. There's no question as to whether or not this is a hairdryer. It's, it's not something pretended to be a hairdryer. It's not a fake hairdryer. It has all the components of a hairdryer. It is a hairdryer. However, at this moment, it cannot dry hair. In spite of the fact that it is a hairdryer, and was designed to dry hair, and has every component in there that's needed to dry hair, except one thing. There's no power in it. Until the power is in this thing, it's a paperweight. That is, in fact, a hairdryer. It's not connected to the power source, and therefore it cannot do what it was created to do. It has all the potential in the world to dry hair. But it will never reach that potential until it has the power in it. Listen to me. Christians were created and saved to do stuff, not merely to be stuff. You weren't saved merely to be a Christian, to look like a Christian. This looks like a hairdryer. It is a hairdryer, but it was created to do something. Christians are saved to do something, to live a life, to, to be something and have all the components of that something and then go and do whatever it is God has saved them to go and to do. That's the reason for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
to fill you with the power you need to be and to do everything God wants you to be and to do. God wants you clothed with power for the advancement of his kingdom in this world. God wants you clothed with power for the benefit of the people you encounter each day. And just to be very, very clear, there is a difference. And I understand this is a point of confusion. There is a difference between being born again and being filled with the Spirit of God. The two events may happen simultaneously sometimes, but they are not the same thing. To be born again is to have the Spirit of God come inside you and change you into a new person and then dwell in you as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.4, the Bible says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek verb here for filled is the verb plato. It literally means to fill completely, to fill to the maximum. This is a basketball. You will not disagree with me about that. It looks like a basketball. This is not something pretending to be a basketball. This is not a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. This is not a, not a baseball in a basketball costume. This is a basketball. It's round and it's orange and, and, and it has all the elements of a basketball. And yet, when I drop it on the floor, it stays there. Because while it has air in it, It wouldn't be round if it didn't have air in it. While it has air in it, it's not Plato. It's not filled to the degree it is supposed to be filled. It's not filled like it was meant to be filled. So when I drop it, it stays there. The problem is that basketballs were designed to bounce. But they won't. They can't until they're properly filled. I'm here to tell you this morning, too many Christians today don't bounce. They're round and they're orange. They look like Christians because they are, in fact, Christians. I mean, they're really, they're, they're authentically Christians and there's air in them. The Spirit of God is in there. But they don't bounce like they're supposed to because they're not Plato. They're not filled like they're supposed to be filled with the Spirit of God. So realizing that there's some confusion on this subject, I want to take just the last few minutes and close out this morning addressing the question, uh, isn't being born again the same thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit? Or to put it another way, wasn't I automatically baptized in the Holy Spirit the moment I became a Christian? Now, I want to tell you right up front, when some people try and address those questions, they try and take scriptures to address those questions that were never written to address those questions. And that's a problem, theologically. And so the best thing to do, I think, is to take a look at the Bible and see what happened when people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the good news is there are five times. Five times in the book of Acts, you actually get to see someone baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at that and let's see what happened. Let's see what happened in the Bible, when it happened in the Bible, and, uh, and, and just take a look at that. Was there baptism in the Holy Spirit just a part of being born again, or was it some subsequent experience? Well, the first incidence we find in Scripture of someone being baptized in the Holy Spirit is the apostles and those with them in Acts chapter 2. Um, 
Jesus promised it to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, verse 5, verse 8. And then Acts 2, 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. That part's clear. We know. Acts 2, 4, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The question is this. When were they born again? When did the apostles officially become Christians? And the answer to that is found in John chapter 20 on that very first Easter Sunday. Now, you need to remember when you read the Gospels that throughout almost the entirety of the Gospels, the disciples are not born-again Christians. They're good Jews following a Messiah, uh, following a a rabbi. They couldn't be born-again Christians because Jesus had not yet died for their sins and risen to give them new life. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. She can't be saved until Jesus has been risen from the dead, at least not in the born-again New Testament sense. Until the resurrection, uh, these men had seen Jesus as their rabbi. After the resurrection, everything changed. And so in John chapter 20, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ suddenly comes into a room that was locked. He talks with them. He lets them touch him. He eats some fish in their presence. And you can be certain at that moment they believed Jesus was Lord and risen from the dead. Then in verse 22 of John chapter 20, something really, really amazing happens. The Bible says, and with that, he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now I've got a question for you. When the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, what do you think happens right then? I think you receive the Holy Spirit. I think that's what happens. And yet it wasn't for another 50 days that these men, until these men were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So with the apostles, at least, being baptized in the Holy Spirit was subsequent to them being born again. The next example involves the Samaritans. You'll find it in uh, Acts chapter 8. Philip goes down to a city in Samaria and begins to preach the gospel to them. The Bible says in verse 12, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They heard, they believed, they were baptized in water as born-again followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verses 14 to 17 say this, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. So with the Samaritan believers, as with the very first apostles, being baptized in the Holy Spirit was a subsequent experience to coming to faith in Christ. The next account involves Saul of Tarsus. You'll find it in Acts chapter 9. Saul's not very uh, inclined to become a Christian. He's on his way uh, to Damascus. When the Lord appears to him on the road, he's stricken blind. Jesus identifies himself to Saul on the road as the risen Lord Jesus. Saul refers to him as Lord, and I believe in that moment, Saul believed in his heart that he was risen from the dead, confessed him as Lord. I believe at that moment he was born again. In fact, three days later, when Ananias comes to Saul... He greets him as brother Saul. And then he tells him that Jesus, quote, has sent me so that you may uh, see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Subsequent 
to having come to faith, as with the first apostles and the Samaritans. The next account is in Acts chapter 10. It involves Cornelius and, and all the folk at his house. And verses 44 to 46 say this, while Peter was still speaking these words, in other words, while Peter was still sharing the gospel with them, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now apparently on this occasion, the people were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit all at once. The final chance to watch this happen is in the book of, in the book of Acts, is, uh, Acts chapter 19, and involves a group of people in Ephesus. And the chapter opens this way. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? As you continue to read, you find these guys weren't actually Christians yet. They were simply devotees of John the Baptist and, and his teachings. Paul initially thought they were Christians, but upon further investigation, he learned the truth. He then shared the gospel with them, and the Bible says, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 5. After that, the Bible says, verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So once again, four out of five encounters, four out of five accounts in the book of Acts, it appears that the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred, or the infilling of the Holy Spirit occurred subsequently to the experience of belief, new birth, or salvation. Finally, in this Acts passage, 19 passage, please do not miss the fact that when Paul thought these Ephesian disciples were Christians, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And unless you dig into that and the word when starts to give you trouble, let me let you know the word when is not in the Greek text. The Greek here actually might read better, having believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And I just want to point out to you this morning, that's a really, really stupid question. If you're automatically filled with the Holy Spirit when you believe and are born again. The bottom line is, the Lord wants you filled with the Holy Spirit, which makes the baptism in the Holy Spirit a really big deal. Jesus spoke about it to his disciples a lot. It was central to the message of John the Baptist. It's actually central to the message of the gospel, although most people don't recognize that and don't share about the Holy Spirit when sharing the gospel with people. To be a Christian is to be changed on the inside and to have the Holy Spirit in you as a deposit. But to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have him in his fullness. Thus, being baptized in the Holy Spirit will often, although not always necessarily, be subsequent to becoming a Christian. And having been filled with the Spirit initially, you need to be continually filled, moment by moment and day by day. If you're a hair dryer, God wants you to dry hair. But you can't do it unless the power's in there. If you're a basketball, praise God. Way better than being a football. Who, who makes a ball that's not round? I mean, what is a football? Where did that come from? If you're a basketball, praise the Lord. God wants you to bounce. You can't do that unless you're Plato. 
can't dry hair apart from the power. You can't bounce apart from being filled with the Spirit of God as He wants to fill you. If you've never prayed for the Spirit of God to fill you, I encourage you to do that. When we close out this series, we'll have a, have a big invitation at the end, but you can pray right now. Uh, you can pray with someone before you, know, you leave the service today. You can pray by yourself in your living room. That's where I did. But God wants you filled with the Spirit of God. God wants you bouncing and drying hair. Hallelujah. It's a whole new career for many of you. Right there. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Your word that always tells us the truth. Your word that shows us who you are. Your word that shows us how you are. Your word that shows us who you have created us and saved us to be. Your word that introduces us to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to love you and love your word and seek to walk in it as best we can. Fill us, O Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Set us on fire for you. Send a revival. Start with us. Revive us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. Hallelujah.